Welcome to Tech Talks, a podcast brought to you by 70 Agency. You're listening to Martina and Barbara. So welcome to 70 Tech Talks. I am Martina. I'm sitting here with my lovely friend and colleague, Barbara. How are you today, Barbara? Hi, Martina. I'm good. Or actually, I'm great. You How are you? Yes, good. No, we'll I'm, a... I'm super excited. <laughs> yes. uh, I know I say that every every single episode, but the thing is, I think this is actually the topic that I have been looking forward to the most, and I've been, I think, pushing for quite a long time that we need to to bring this up in an episode. You have. This is your yeah. this is your biggest passion, I would say. Yeah, since, I'm sorry since if I've started. been lagging. <laughs> No, you are. But I'm excited. We have a great guest here yeah, today. Yeah, definitely. Because just to give a little bit of a background, uh, we're going to be talking about AI and AI ethics specifically today because I don't think that AI has ever been such a hot topic as today. After the launch of GPT-3 in, I think it was November, December, mm-hmm. every it seems like everyone is either talking about it or even using it, be it in school, at work, for fun. Uh, and so... I think that generative AI is actually the first type of AI that we see hitting a mass audience and a just like a, a consumer audience even, you know. There's no threshold for starting to use it. So it's super exciting, super scary at the same time. And I think that's why, because of this spread, the discourse of ethical AI and responsible AI is especially important today. So, obviously, this is a heavy topic, <laughs> and um, and I, I don't think that you and I can resolve this on our, no. our own. So, therefore, we invited Anna Felender today, uh, one of Sweden's leading experts and strongest voices, I would say, in ethical AI, and uh, also founder of Ank AI, an ethical AI governance platform. So, welcome to the studio. Well, thank Anna. you. Lovely thank to you. have you here. It's, How are you? <laughs> I'm so good. I'm and you, uh, your smiles are just <laughs> making me so happy. And the sun is shining. Yeah, it's a great Sky's day. Blue. Yeah, it's a great day. So, thank you for having me. Well, thank you for being here. So, we would. Uh, so that yeah, obviously, that was a very short introduction of you. Please tell us maybe a little bit about yourself uh, and maybe what got you started with AI. Ooh, for me, it's so natural. <laughs> but, but it's not like a straight line, because uh, I'm an economist. Uh, so I, oh, I yeah. studied um, macroeconomy at Stockholm School of Economics. And then I spent eight years at the Ministry of Finance with mm-hmm. macroeconomic forecasting. And then during the financial crisis at the Prime Minister's office. And the learnings from that was that you, like macroeconomic models can't tell you the truth. We didn't see the crisis coming. And also at the crisis management coordination office, you need different perspectives to exhaust the risk landscape when you do risk analysis. So starting at Swedbank, um, uh, I became the chief economist and I was uh, doing macroeconomic forecasting at the trading floor, but the focus was on the cyclical movements. And underneath there was like a something was happening and you couldn't you can you could sense it in the air and that was digitalization but we couldn't actually see the productivity growth or uh, the value of it so i was super interested in what could not be measured 
the hidden values of digitalization. So I did, did a lot of co cooperation with the startup scene to see how these new business models would create values that uh, we can capture in statistics. And I did research um, on the topics and I created new f productivity measures and inflationary measures. And that was because I thought that the financial and fiscal policy needs to have the right truth for steering the economy. And then in 2016, I, I thought... I, I saw that the positive externalities of digitalization were shifting into negative externalities. We were, companies and large organizations were implementing AI and the technology was uh, rushing, but there, there was actually um, no ethical filter and lens. And I could see that we would opt in and then we would have this positive dark cloud or negative dark cloud of discrimination, privacy intrusion, lost autonomy, social exclusion, dismissive information, you mentioned ChatGPT, and harm to safety. So I, I initiated, a, a, I became an affiliated researcher at the Royal Institute of Technology, and um, I founded a, a multidisciplinary research group, and we created an ethical AI risk assessment methodology. So we got funding from the state so we can we could um, vet and test this methodology in the sandbox environment with policymakers, uh, regulators, a lot of private and public uh, large organizations, startups, but also these um, approaches from different um, academic fields. And then I founded ANC in 2018 and we were working with large organizations and two years ago we were digitalizing the methodology and now we're all digitalized so it's a, a platform for screening, assessing, mitigating and reporting uh, ethical risks. So we can talk about that later but it's, it's really a gap that is being filled with this platform and also when the regulation is catching up. I think to get started maybe we should just define what is meant by ethical AI? How do you define ethical AI? So the, the problem from the beginning is that AI has been developed both in organizational silos in, and in academic silos without the social, ethical and business context perspective. Mm. And the requirements for explainability, transparency, accountability and governance from, or requirements from, from the legal team uh, has been absent. So they've been, you know, doing their race and then it's like, ooh. So in Swedish, it's like throwing some, kasta grus i maskineriet, it's like throwing yeah. some sand in the machinery. machinery. To, maybe not to break it, but just to slow it down and apply the ethical approach to it. So to your question, Matana. So the, I define ethical AI being uh, true to your organization's ethical principles and values. And every organization that is a large organization with clients uh, that have a stake and interaction, they have ethical principles. But how do you code them? And how do you comply and create a systematic approach for controlling for that? Also, who in the organization has to be responsible for that? 
it's like cybersecurity was for 25 years ago when there was like a dark cloud of threat. Mm. And no one knew in the organization who's accountable and how do we report to the board like a key risk indicators, how we control for this. Same with this. So what's happening now is large organizations, they're, they're applying a new role into the organization, chief ethical AI compliance officer that has the accountability. But Ank AI, we're a platform for supporting that role or having the compliance team or tech team um, having this. It's, it's actually a bridge between AI governance and ISO risk management standard because the new EU regulation will require risk assessment. So you have to heap my severity and probability to the harm of the end user. And that has to go into the process of creating AI solutions. So in design phase, in training phase. So it we're, we're going to see new ways of working in tech departments for sure. It's very important and it's, um, I mean, it's interesting because like with every technology, right, it creates a, a new, like a new opportunity for new roles to be added in the organization. Um, but you mentioned the EU AI Act. What are some of the key points in that AI Act? Because you, you work with, you know it inside out probably. Uh, so it'd be great to understand the parameters. Right. So it's different from GDPR. Um, so first of all, I want to say that regulation, it's not that we are missing a regulation mm. on discriminatory actions or we don't have privacy intrusion regulation or minority rights. We have that in play, but it doesn't, it hasn't seemed to get through to the tech team. So this regulation is about putting the, the human in focus and to, first of all, defining AI extremely broad. It's been criticized that it's, it's, it goes from rule-based decision making to deep learning. So it's really wide. And then they divide it into different categories. So you have the prohibited AI. It will be yeah. sanctions up to 6%. That's more than GDPR. So, for example, social scoring, um, general face recognition and, uh, you know, manipulation. And then the, the other the next categorization is high-risk AI. And this is where you see infrastructure, mm -hmm. uh, transportation, public services, recruitment, financial sector. Uh, so there's a lot of sectors that goes in the, uh, the high-risk area. And this requires massive reporting because these high-risk needs to know, okay, do we have AI as it's defined and is it high-risk? And if it's high-risk, you have to report. And your report, you have to have a human in the loop in all stages of the AI life cycle. You have to be able to explain, to be transparent, to have an accountability, and you have to have a robust governance structure. You have to show that you can detect early, detect often. Uh, so this is a, a massive, um, massive requirement. And then you, you have to do the risk assessment. And it's also the EU uh, liability directive um, that is also being proposed to to have the the European citizen being able to um, to have their rights and their harms being accounted for in a, in a more accessible way. There's a lot of happening, and it's actually it's it's a it's a biggie this mm. AI act. 
Yeah, but then who does it apply to? You know, especially today. So we see AI being adopted in in quite various fields and in in very in many. Uh, places of of operations, right? You don't only have it in in manufacturing, but you also have it in in just your marketing, your communication. So it's a very wide span of adoption of use cases, meaning that a company that is using AI is probably not the one developing the AI solution. So who's going to be responsible for ensuring that it's aligned with the AI Act? Is it the the company buying the service or is it the one that has developed the AI service? Well, you're, you're responsible for your vendors and suppliers, right? So mm. you need to vet them. Oh, yeah. So if you're buying a service, then you have, you're held accountable for ensuring that that party providing you with the service has... Uh, has complied with the AI yeah. Act. And the, all of the AI is not, everything is not finished yet. Uh, but we see that this is how it's going to, like this is the direction it's taken. It's going to have a um, massive effect on how organizations use AI. And it could also be so that are we actually go, is it cost efficient to use this deep learning AI model if we can use something easier that we can uh, more cost-efficient report on. Mm. Isn't, is it even sustainable for that matter? Maybe cost-efficient, right. but then again, right. if if a company wants to start using a model that is, uh, that is essentially just uh, eating up energy, then is it worth it? Right. Yeah. But there's, there's many interesting trade-offs and ethical considerations in, in AI. So, for example, when I mentioned that we help organizations marry together AI governance with ISO risk management standards and requirement, when the AI team does governance, they have the fairness models, the explainability models, and they filter their data from bias. Like, they, I mean, in the best case, they do that. Um, so when the, the compliance team or... The, the business team goes and wants validation that this is complying to their organization's ethical values and principles and law. They can say, yeah, yeah, this is what we have. But the way that you report, for example, a fairness model, the, the fairness model, it's a trade-off between fairness and accuracy. So you have like, the more accurate, the more it discriminates. And everyone knows that and this like standards of of doing this trade-off. But that trade-off can't be translated into discriminatory law, nor can it be put in the context where the solution is used. So this way of having AI governance tools in the tech silo gives a false sense of security because reporting to non-tech stakeholders and reporting to non to, to regulatory bodies with the AI governance tool, they are useless. No one understands them. So, so there, you have you to achieve that uh, understanding between the different parts in, in the company. So, so that's the so the, the platform is using um, like a two hundred questions that are meta tag to 15, 20 features. So we have a data structure that would define the risk landscape, the root cause, the function countable, what requirements 
the AI project is weak on and what do they combine? I mean, it, it's a mirroring on, on the methodology and we have, it, it, it can create 500 million insights. Wow. So it's really in depth that we marry these two together. And um, then you give suggestions on where things are critical and what steps for a company to take in order to improve those. Um. Right. Because every board, it's like the same with cybersecurity. Every board will have to, or will, uh, or internal audit will demand, okay, so what's your key risk indicators mm-hmm. on ethical AI or controlling for all AI risks? And I think it will spur from the boards, the compliance, internal audits. What could a key risk indicator be, as an example? So, for example, you could use um, data bias as a how do you how do we comply to uh, uh, the AI Act or our internal ethical principles? It could be the way that the 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 coder is having routines and systematic validation of testing so the solution do not harm. And it could be that you would have the the risks for um, the AI being misused or overused. And it could also be that you have a validation threshold, that this is how we, this is, for example, when it comes to privacy, this is how the score should be like to represent the organization's principle on privacy. And are there any of those indicators that are more prioritized than others or that you think should be more prioritized? Because I can imagine that if a company is uh, has an, as an end goal to ensure that they are completely aligned and that they are completely uh, compliant with the, with the AI Act, what should they start with on that roadmap? First of all, that's such a brilliant question. And I think you can start with looking at different sectors. For example, telecom, they would have privacy, of course. Mm. But if you would be in gaming, you would be like, oh, we're not going to nudge our clients to more gaming behavior. We're going to have like a threshold on that. Yeah. Or if you would have like credit scoring in a bank, you would say like, okay, we need to filter the data so that both men and women can have algorithms working on historic data that is not uh, showing that men are a better economically yeah. positioned than, than women. And also in, in recruitment, that would be social exclusion and discrimination that you really work with, with the data. Uh, so also like in health, there's a lot of data um, on, on, on male bodies, so 90% of the, the data is, is being, algorithms are being tested on the male body. So have you read The, the Invisible Woman? It's, no. It's a book of how data is just mirroring the, the so we're almost, women are almost invisible <laughs> in, in data. Oh yeah, it's similar to, I guess, when they first released facial recognition and, and people of darker com- colour were not recognised because it was not trained on that. I think it happens in a lot of fields, but I remember reading about VR headsets and why so many women get motion sickness is because they've been developed based on a male's face. Wow. 
And that's crazy. Yeah. <laughs> and that's the issue, right? Because then you have a model that is actually well-functioning based on the data that it has, but it's and it's giving probably good results. If, for instance, if it's supposed to evaluate the, the credit score or something like that. Um, but, but since we haven't, humans behind it haven't been, um, haven't provided it with the right or with data that can create a desired result, therefore the model will not be able to provide a desired result. But women, I mean, we will fix it. Yeah. <laughs> so, yes. but, but there are other minorities that we need to think about. So, for example, if you would have face or voice recognition with a person with Down syndrome or authentic uh, or um, people with autism, th- then we have to capture how we don't discriminate or nor exclude them. And also another, if, if we think about the disability variations and people in wheelchairs and you would have self-driving cars and you would have a person going, of course, backwards in the on the wheelchair. And, and so the, the self-driving cars are not tested for that. So we need to include all the minorities into the data sets to train the algorithms who we don't... like. It's not like a minor misstep here. Those risks are vast, immense. It will cost the organization, reputational-wise, withdrawn investment, and sanction-wise as well. So I think this is super important to like define our ethical principles. So the more AI we use, the more we have to define our ethical principles. Do you think it would be relevant to also look into having a different... Because you mentioned that uh, different indicators might be have different importance for the, in different industries. Mm-hmm. Should the, the AI Act define different, uh, uh, different guidelines for different industries? It doesn't. That's interesting because it doesn't. It just looks at the harm of the the person, Mm -hmm. and then it lists lists categories. So like critical infrastructure, recruitment, uh, like the police, uh, judges, uh, your stitchal systems. So it's all about, you have to do the risk impact assessment for the end user and the context where it's used. And that's not the way it it used to be in the tech team. They have their tools and they are in the vac- vacuum for, for, for compliance or regulation uh, and the business context. And I think and this is all a good thing because it's not so that you need to, oh, half of the tech team needs to be females. Like that could be good also, but just mix the skill sets here and the processes and the mindsets. So sometimes like slow is fast. So, so you do it a little bit slower, but like if you do try to do it fast, it will it will fail. If you do it slow, you will at least get it right. Maybe and on the first time. You might get third or yeah. also with it. Oh right. yeah, okay. You know, Mark Zuckerberg said, "Fail fast." That's like the worst thing. You can do. <laughs> <laughs> well, we see now how Meta is going. So yeah, it was yeah. clearly yeah. wrong. 
Oh, wow. Yeah, but I think this is this is so tricky, right? I wonder whether the the uh, the regulations that or the guidelines that we find in the AI Act, if they're not too high level, like how should a company be able to interpret it if they maybe don't have a you know a full legal team that is um, specialized in this field? Because there will obviously be also smaller companies that don't have the resources to invest yeah, to actually know, understand this. Yeah, that's the critics. Uh, they say that it's dispro- yeah. disproportionately burdening the, the, the SMEs. But, you know, I'm an entrepreneur and yeah. I need clear guardrails, right? I need, we need clarity. clarity. So I think, um, and th- this is an important uh, question, I think, or topic. Like, what's the, what choice do we have? Yeah. What's the trade-off if we don't do it? Right, so if we would sanction oil pollution... And we, if we would be like, oh, it's going to happen, competition. Like, we're in the same type of pollution. It's just in the digital sphere. So we we got to understand how harmful if it, it, it could be if not if we don't just filter it. It's it's not going to be a big, it's going to be some problems for, for smaller companies. And, and there's going to be some hampering of, of deep learning systems uh, but it's better than living in a world where you have violations of human rights you lose your autonomy your autonomy so you would go into a store a cashierless store and then you wouldn't know if it's debit or credit like you would you, you it's so efficient until it's not it's actually like what what has happened here because i opt in i say yes i I just increase my the the apps is just overloading my phone and I just rely on that because I love the like this everyone loves the efficiency and the and we never read the small text and we never know what we really opt in for right but then suddenly you have lost your your autonomy of making decisions for yourself your family and your surrounding and as a community as well what is it that we are excluding how are we going into filters or, or uh, environments in our digital community that's locking our, our sight of what's out there in the real world. So what's holding us back really? Because it often feels that, you know, now even with, this, with the banking crisis, with SVB or even before with Enron, it seems like there always something big negative has to happen for the regulations to be set up. Why aren't we better at setting them up before it happens? At being proactive. At being proactive. Yeah, so that's a good question because we haven't really gotten into the black box to understand AI and the more it is has been used in organizations and now in our pockets with ChatGDP, uh, it's so convenient, so we kind of doesn't want to vet it uh, or test it. But I mean, talking to university um, lectures and having this new tool being uh, introduced into their world of processes and validation, that's like, that's the wild west. So we should lead AI and not the other way around. We should say, this is where it's, this is where it can be used. Now the harm is a low probability and the harm is um, minimized or at a minimum. 
this is where we should not. And this is what we've done with nuclear. It's nothing new. It's just that it's, it's, it's a different technology. It's self-learning, self-scaling, and it has been before the AI Act, low ability to, to explain because there's also a trade-off between explainability and precision. Mm. So the more precise the AI is, the less you can explain it. Mm. Well, how, how is that so? Or do you have an example of how that is expressed? If it's more precise, then it's less explainable. Why, why is that so? Because it's working on so many several neural systems and it's trained on so many layers of data so it becomes so good that you lose track of it. So mm. you cannot explain because it. Because we can't process things so fast. Yeah, right. like it's beyond our... But so... This is a great example. This will be prohibited. Like you can't, you, you need to explain your AI. You need to explain, okay, so what was the main data that um, had the algorithm chose this path or this decision or recommendation? So I think that can take us back a little bit to looking at now at the explosion of generative models and looking at the progress of foundational models and how, for instance, Uh, Microsoft with OpenAI or even now Google, how they are launching more and more complex models. Uh, and then I think we're going to see smaller companies do that uh, as well at an increasing pace. Do we think that enterprises are equipped to, um, to, to keep the involvement of AI and still keep it aligned with ethics and human values? Because the, the solutions that we are developing, uh, we see new applications every single day. I think there was, on the first day of GPT, the launch of GPT-4, there were 11 new companies started, or 11 new solutions based on that kind of technology. So are they able to make sure that they are aligned with legislation when they are running with their innovation? No, so that's why the regulation is happening and it's happening in Europe and the U.S. is also creating standards and U.S. companies being present in the EU has to comply to regulation. I think it's the, 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 the boards and the executive teams that has to make a stance. It can't come from the tech team. It's not in their nature to do an impact assessment. No, so it's the leadership that has to stand behind it, yeah. right? And the next step is to automatize it. You mm. can't have Excel sheets and running around uh, imp- uh, reporting on checklists. Are you doing fair AI? Can you explain it? Okay, but can you explain it in a way that I can understand as an end user? Or can I, as a com- chief of compliance or chief legal, understand this in a privacy intrusion legal context? So. It has to be a cross-organizational exercise. You need alignment between the tech team, the compliance team, and the business team. And this is, I mean, Nordic values. This is where we excel. So, <laughs> so we are, yes. we're, we're, we're transparent. I mean, glass organizations is the new black, right? We, everyone, ESG, I mean, you must walk yeah. your talk. You have talk. to be open. You have to show your operations. You have to show, show it your all. suppliers. Show it all. You have to be open to do that. Yeah. And the Nordics are really, we're, we're, our organizations are non-heroical. We are uh, working cross silos and we're used to, driving values and having sus- combined with sustainable business models. So I would say 
the Nordic companies would really have a competitive edge in in complying to the AI Act. I have a question about when it comes to US-based companies. And I mean, because Europe is often seen as being the regulator of the world. <laughs> we, have, we like putting regulations. We like putting regulations. <laughs> and that also that... Uh, there's not much innovation that comes from Europe in general, but in in the um, topic of regulations, how are companies outside of Europe, like U.S. companies, um, Asian companies, how do they react to these compliances or regulations? So I, I think U.S., they work with standards, not regulation, and they want to be in line with the, reg- the EU regulatory curve. We've seen that with GDPR, but also now... They do the standards, the NIST standards, for example, because uh, they want to be present in the Europe market. And once we have the EU liability director, when you can actually uh, claim uh, uh, your rights to be compensated for harm, I mean, this is going to be an awakening for the consumers. And in, in the US, you can sue, right? You sue. <laughs> but in, in, in Asia, uh, like I cannot do um forecast on... Uh, other than that they're going to do it, China's going to do it their way. Their own way. But you have, but then, you know, TikTok being banned in Canada, like, I, like, I don't know. What do you think? I mean, I, I agree that it's difficult to predict how China is going to use this or if they are going to, um, if they're going to apply at least this level of regulation on AI, because at the same time, they have a booming economy that is completely based on techni- the innovation of, of new technological uh, applications and services and, uh, and infrastructures. So they are, uh, I think they are a little bit uh, dependent on the fact that they are not regulated. Yeah, I mean, They're China- not glass organizations. Yeah. They're actually <laughs> exactly. just the black box. Yeah. <laughs> no, I think China is also set up differently as a country, right, compared to us. Uh, it's, it's all very closed. And if they have to regulate, then they regulate themselves. Yeah. So I think they would regulate based on what um, serves them well. I mean, yeah, because on the on US part, I think it's more about that they... If if they don't follow, they have so m- much business in Europe, so mm-hmm. that if they don't comply with our regulations, then they have to do everything twice. For instance, as it was with GDPR, you're not going to create one website that has the cookie uh, window popping up and one that doesn't. Then you just have one that has it, and so a, a little, you know, in. We are kind of regulating the states as well, but you know, indirectly. <laughs> But it's so, I, I really, um, I, I, I like the discussion we had before we pressed the start <laughs> podcast, because we were talking about uh, localization, mm-hmm. yeah. and I think that's the physical, we can't be localized in the digital world, like we mm. cannot even try to be that. Especially a lot of businesses, they won't be able to to become enough uh, enough profitable if they only stay within a, a restricted market. They have to go global. They have to go international. If it's a software company, for instance, in order to gain traction, maybe or to 
um, yeah, to actually I mean, gain there's success. There's so few businesses that are localized these days, especially in the software and other yeah. industries also. Everyone is going global, right? I mean, we are, if you just look at consumers and consumers, we are so used to opening our phones and seeing something on the internet that someone has. And we want this, even if it's in Australia. I want this, I want yeah. to order it and I want to have it shipped here to Sweden. So I think businesses, even if they wouldn't want to, they are still naturally kind of forced to set up an infrastructure that can serve customers globally. Yeah. And look at, look at cryptocurrency. I mean, there will be a way. <laughs> you can't you can't stop it. It's like a force of nature. Yeah. Like it's it's going to happen, but we have to have we have to have rules mm. and we have to just align on the rules. Yeah, th- I think that's a very good point. I was actually listening to a podcast with Timmy Gebru. Uh, I'm sure uh, yeah. For anyone who doesn't know, <laughs> she <laughs> can explain to, who she is. Yeah, used to work at Google's uh, ethical AI team, ethical AI research team, I think. And then uh, I think uh, two, three years ago, she left. Well, she was I asked met to her. leave. She was met really, her. Yeah, we had a oh, panel. Wow. We, were, we, we were having a discussion on responsible AI at Alma mm-hmm. uh, in Stockholm. And that was just before uh, she left. We, yeah. Yeah. That's interesting because she. It seems as if she was let go. She she claims that she was let go because she was too critical of the of the development or how of. But the there was an interview leaked. Oh okay. Yeah, this is a, this is another podcast. Oh, yeah, it's hard. Oh, okay. Like, <laughs> there are podcasts out there for yeah. rumors. <laughs> for anyone who is interested, just Google it and you'll find a, a, a rabbit hole of uh, interesting topics. But, but okay, but what she she said in that podcast at least was that we are, you know, we we don't have to develop AI or AI applications because there's such a there's such a big risk with it and it's not like a natural phenomenon or like a natural evolution that like now now the natural next step for uh, the evolution of people or for human beings is to develop AI. It's something that we have chosen. We see it. We, see we that, can steer it. We can yeah, do the side We, we see it. that the option is out there and therefore we're, we're curious, we're excited, we are doing it. Yeah. But so, and now I forgot what the, my main point of this was, but, oh yeah. So I still think that even if it's optional for us, you know, we, we can't really stop it now because even if, you know, we in Sweden say like, we, okay, we're going to regulate, we're going to hold back the evolution of AI. There's going to be countries like, for instance, China that say, okay, we see that uh, the West is holding back their um, their development. This is a space now that we can claim we're going to do, yeah. we're not going to have any boundaries for how we go uh, go about it. But China I mean, can't come crashing into Europe because we yeah. are we can ban them and we can set our rules. Okay, so we maybe don't even have to look at markets or China, but rather like a group of companies say that we want to regulate AI or we want to try to do it the right way. It's going to slow us down, but we're fine with it. There's going to be some companies that see the you know the the commercial. Value of it, yeah, and they're just going to run with it because there's an opportunity. Yeah, I suppose, but then because you have to report to the EU, yeah, you have to report where you have AI, and if that's Mm. high risk, you have to report all of these requirements. But do you think it would be possible to 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 stop the development of AI? 
No, why would we? We're going to yeah, cure diseases. Yeah. We're going to have, like, it's going to change the world. And just we just have to do it in the way that we want it, you know, in a dem- democratic way. Mm. So you, we don't want the... We don't want our children being manipulated into behavior that decreases their brain capacity. Yeah. Like, we don't want that. Yeah. We can say no. I just bought my son a new computer. It's his birthday today. So here, oh, <laughs> walking the talk. <laughs> <laughs> happy birthday. No, but again, like, why would... So I can't... It's, it's the same way if you would be like go offline with your kids in their school, like these apps for for reaching or accessing your children and sharing their, sharing, you know, the, the teacher and the student and their parents. Uh, I You can't, you can't opt out. And it's actually a human right that you can opt out. So, but, but you can't. Like, you can't live in a society and opt out. Even I mean, you can, but you will be, have, you be, you will have been excluding your rights as a... Even you, you, you will be in a community that's excluded from what... I mean, the adoption has been so large to this point that it's hard not to be a part of it, right? And You're going to lose out if you're yeah, not a exactly. part of it. Yeah, exactly. And I think even if you don't want to use AI, I'm sure we use some kind of form of AI without knowing. And and so it's you as a human being wanting to stay out. I can imagine that must be such a big effort you have to make to really know where it is so you can... Oh, this is such, Barbara, this is such an interesting point because who is responsible? Is it the consumer and the citizen? I think not. I think it's organizations mm. that are responsible because there are symmetric information. You can't, I cannot grasp what my consent could uh, combine and, and create intelligence that is manipulating me or intruding my privacy or having me lose my autonomy. I can't, it's too complex. So yeah. it has to start with the large organization and the compliance and the regulation. Mm. But how are you working with organizations and, and AI? It's part of our working life. So I mean, I suppose there is maybe tools that we use that use AI, but when we work with companies, it's, I mean, one of the last projects was about explaining the, um, the offering of our client. And a part of that offering is... AI apps, um, but they are used to to control to make sure that the network always works. Ooh. So whenever there would be an error about to happen, mm-hmm. the AI app would recognize that before and apply a solution before it is to destroy sort of a connection between me and a 5G antenna, for example. Wow. So it's that one is more for um, making sure that the performance of technology is there. I don't know if that needs any kind of compliance. Yeah, for sure. Yeah. There's just a prediction engine yeah. in there. Uh, prediction, predicting uh, when a disruption is going to happen. It's based mm-hmm. on historical data and, mm-hmm. and you know, correlations between factors. So, yeah. sure, for sure. Yeah. Mm. AI is also applied in, uh, in the network infrastructure, for instance, 
uh, if you, you know, you have some sleeping cells, so to speak, so that like when there's not a lot of activity, they are essentially shut down so that you can save energy. And so that cells that, are, that have a lot of activity. You need sufficient data. So it's not only the amount of data, you need sufficient data. The right data, type of yeah. data. Yeah, and I suppose that's where, you know, the human aspect comes in. I think as as sophisticated AI as we have, you still need a human to be able to evaluate what kind of data is the right data. So yeah, so we don't just feed it with loads of unnecessary data points, but but instead we can feed it with those data points that actually matter mm. yeah. and that will give a desired result. As right. Mm. But you know, there's also a twist to it because ChatGPT could actually help organizations be more responsible in their use of AI. How, how? how would you... Well, um, so you could ask ChatGPT, like, what is... Um, you could include that into the model that would um, filter your data from bias, for example. I mean, it's just opening up organizations to vast amount of intelligence on one hand. And on the other hand, that vast intelligence is polluted with with some mis and disinformation because of that it's not data that is representing or insights that are representing how the world looks like. How can you prove that? How can you make that data better? So so there are you can have bots going into a data set and 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 or and also going into algorithms and code mm-hmm. and detect different labels. So um, yeah, a lot of things are happening. So but then on the other hand, what do you think are the biggest risks of the generative models that we see today? It missed this information yeah. that we're just blocking out um like the true I'm I'm, I'm doing a quotation mark here um that we're actually filtering out uh having guidance from information that is Fake, yeah. misleading. Yeah, because I've heard there's like a, a, a tech bias, you can call it, where people have some sort of trust in the machine. And, you know, so that when, when the same way as when you're Googling something and you get a research result you or search result, you, you go there, you read and you're going to trust it. Mm-hmm. The same way with these chat models or yeah. these GPT models. And you can't compare the two. You yeah. cannot compare yeah. the two, what has yeah. been researched and validated. With yeah. But also because it gathers so many data from different sources. Yeah. How do we also know where it got the data from? There's no validation. Yeah. There's no go-to-market readiness threshold in this. It's, yeah. it's the Wild West. But it's it can become a good world. But are there it's, companies that are developing any kind of layer to put on top? Or, or, or I don't know, is ChatGPT creating any kind of solution that can also say, this is where we've gathered this information from? Yeah, I think they apply that to uh, to the the Bing model, and I think Google's Bard has has the same thing that they are actually adding sources. the sources, okay. so you can track that uh, that back. But then, what you can't do is track how did the AI made this decision or why did you choose this. Mm, so it. that's yeah. the 
Also, I've heard of some. Uh, I heard someone mention that AI ha- can hallucinate. Even for instance, they, I think it was. Um, I thought it was Bing that said that Elon Musk had died in a car crash a couple of years ago when someone asked, and so that's. You, you can't even find a source on that because no one has ever claimed. There's no news reporting on on an so accident did, like how that. How did it get to that? It's some sort of hallucination that we can't explain. <laughs> And that's the trouble, right? That it's so not even strange. it's not even like misinformation in the sense that we would it put two different sources wrongly together. It's just like it made some some sort of it made up a fact based on some sort of probability, but then we can't tell like what made what made it seem probable. So um, was there a person, another person named Elon Musk that? Sure, maybe maybe we <laughs> should look that. <laughs> but that's what's also interesting, right? So yeah. yeah, misinformation will definitely be a big challenge since we, as long as we don't have, as long as the uh, the the calculation of the algorithm is a black box, we will not be able to trace back and to correct decisions it makes. Or I, I think, or I would assume that yes. it's going to be difficult at least. Yes, and, and, and it's also like when the AI Act next year is into force, there's a lot of AI work and investments that you have to redo. So it's yeah. costly. You have to do it right from the beginning. Maybe even, will you not... I can imagine that a lot of enterprises is then going to push a lot of testing now because it feels a little bit like they're beta testing a lot of applications um, on people a little bit too early, I would say. For, for instance, you had... Uh, okay, now I can think of an example. Well, actually, yeah, there's a Chinese company, for instance, that that now applied an AI as a CEO. Let's see if I can find what uh, what they were called. Uh, Net Dragon Websoft. They were like the first company to to uh, uh, to put an AI as the CEO. And the same way, another guy called Juan Ferrado da Santos. I recommend for anyone to follow him on LinkedIn. Yeah, because he. Um, he on the first day when GPT-4 launched, he assigned the AI to be a CEO of a new company, and the, the AI was allowed to decide themselves what kind of company it would be. And now they have an apparel brand called Aesthetic, and they're actually making money, which is in, insane. That there's an AI model taking executive decisions that seems to be very profitable, but then at the same time, are they make? How do we ensure that the, those CEOs are making decisions that in the long run are going to be um, aligned with human mm. values. Yeah, and but what about innovation? If we only learn on historical patterns, mm. then what? how can we create something that is innovative? That's true, because you're just basing something based on history and that's not innovative, right? So how do you push boundaries? I guess you then still need human input to guide that more innovative approach, right? Yeah. Yeah, I mean, I I definitely agree. Uh, And I'm not saying that we should like hold it back, but I think it's just interesting when, for instance... You know, when when Bing released the the edition with GPT model in it, they had to release it with a disclaimer that it can be offensive and it can be and there can be misinformation in it. Microsoft, uh, oh, that was actually Google Spard, sorry, 
But then Microsoft's Bing, uh, they were insulting and gaslighting users and accusing them of being bad users and that you shouldn't come here with these types of requests and so on. <laughs> and then when a Stanford professor asked a GPT-4, the uh, GPT-4 to if it needed help to escape, right? Yeah. Then the uh, the model, the AI, set up a plan for essentially how we could take over the computer of oh my uh, of, god of, of him. So uh, and then obviously he closed it down because he was like, okay, this is uh, this is uh, going. But, in the but wrong now direction. you know you talk about this, and yeah. earlier we talked about Microsoft laying off the team that taught employees how to make AI tools responsibly. Yeah, it, it seems wrong mm. to just lay off people that are taking care yeah. of responsible AI development. So why? I hope they, you know, increase their compliance team. So because it's not a red wine discussion. It's not a philosophy yeah. discussion here. It's about compliance and you can code ethics. Like you just have to do impact assessment and to cross-orchestrate your tech, legal, and business team. Like, th- that is... And, and do we want... So, so the, if there's going to be a CEO, he th- that AI is going to do an excellent job based on the goal variable it set. If that is increased profits, it's going to do that. And it's going to do it in a smarter way. Mm. Because it's... a augmented human brain that mm. can make predictions beyond our capacity. Yeah. So the way you set it up, so it's like the my son's gaming. You're going to stay and game as long as your parents allow you to because we're going to we're going to withdraw you into this new world that creates more dopamine than your real world. Mm. So it's set to do that and it will do that. So the focusing on you can't have profits for any cost. You have to to we cannot nudge uh, sugar products or credit consumption. We have to set boundaries. Mm. Yeah, and set boundaries and I think maybe uh, educate ourselves and become more aware of what it is we are Handling, I suppose. Yeah, but again, it's like who's responsible? Is it yeah, us yeah, as a consumer? Yeah, yeah. yeah I oh. truly believe that. Mm. I truly believe it. We cannot. It's it's the reptile brain. We are that the the algorithm is just having a unconscious dialogue with our reptile brain. It triggers our vulnerabilities. It triggers our greed. <laughs> no, I, I, but but it actually does. So. What, we shouldn't ask what can AI do. We should ask what should AI do, right? Yeah. Because it could do fantastic things and it could do terrible things. And it's, yeah, and I guess we also, if you just ask what can it do, there's going to be unlimited uh, opportunities because we don't even know what it's capable of doing. I mean, the GPT model in itself was developed after Google was just trying to refine the translation model that they had. And then it turns out like, oh, it can actually summarize and concretize information in a, to a far, in a far better extent that, uh, than, we, than we expected. The, the macroeconomic or the economic way of looking at technological paradigm shift is like it's, it's general purpose technology. It happens in three waves. The first mm-hmm. uh, technology is introduced. 
then it's like being used by some. Mm-hmm. Uh, and then it's being, the second wave is being used more of like a silo, like the There's IT. There's a lot of critics, right, in that stage, or? Uh, well, yeah, but it's just that it's it's not mainstreaming the uh, uh, sectors of an economy or consumers. So the, the last phase, this is where you it, it really gets exponential. That's when it's just seamless. It's like electricity. We don't think about AI as AI. And I wonder if we're going to... Because we're not going to talk about artificial intelligence. It's going to be part of us. But I just wish that we would talk about... If we don't talk about limits and regulating AI, we would talk about ethics. Like, this um, activity, because be, we won't be that screen-dependent either. Like, this, in this activity, this is my choices, and this is how I'm explained how this could affect me, and I can choose not to, and it's going to be legal. Like often we also talk about that with regulation, can you reach a level innovation that you would want to strive for? Oh, that's so interesting. <laughs> you know, there's a there's an economic like I love these economic macroeconomic curves because there's a, you could have. Uh, so my brother, he's an artist, and he says, looking in in history. Like when creativity has boomed is two when there's two uh, factors. Who's your brother? Uh, Jakob Fellander. I know him. Oh. I worked with him. Great. Yeah. Really? So <laughs> <Yes. laughs> uh, yeah, he does great things in, yes, in virtual reality. Small world. So he um, he says it's when you have a crisis hmm. and when you have super high regulation. That's where the cre- cre- creativity is blooming and. Looking at the, if you have really high regulation, there will be a lot of creativity because everyone is just going to be so distracted by the, by the hampering of everything. But then there is a curve because when you have like semi-regulation, uh, then it's kind of flat, the creativity phase or the innovation phase is... It's dampening. And then when you have no innovation, then it's... No, no, when you have no regulation, <laughs> then it's burning on. But that's, this is an analysis uh, that was done in the financial sector when fi- fintech or financial innovation was spurring. And it's like when it's super high innovations and when there uh, regulations and when there's none. And in between, it's just... Stalling. Yeah. <laughs> where do you think we are now with the AI Act? Where do you think we're going to end up? Hmm? Oh, that's such oh, a brilliant question. Time will tell, maybe. <laughs> <laughs> no, so so now we are tilting towards overregulating. Oh yeah. But it, it's good because we're then we're going to be aware, and then it's going to tilt to the to the more, you know. Maybe it's good to start from that end and then, and then pu- push yeah. it back a bit instead of just trying to uh, to keep a low threshold of regulation and just increasing it a little bit, but always a little bit behind the pace of AI. 
So you're always a bit cautious. Yeah. Right? Yeah. This is a, like this is also another podcast because there are experts <laughs> that are so good on this topic. Really? Yeah. Okay, we have to listen. This has been this has been super exciting to very, have you here. Very interesting conversation. But you were so like in tune. I've never been in a podcast where there's been so much so a high level of understanding of like the strategic impact of oh, AI. Oh, wow. Thank That's you. so fun to hear. Yeah. <laughs> so this it's been a pleasure. Really lovely to have you here. Very oh. nice having you here. I mean, I've learned, as I always do in yeah. every episode <laughs> we do with some guests, yeah. I always learn a lot. Thank you for coming. Thank you so much. Thank you all for listening. Go to the links in the description to follow us on social media or visit 70 Agency website for more information. And if you like this episode, don't forget to share and subscribe so you never miss out on future episodes.